Article 1, Genetic Israel Identity, by Pastor Dan Gaiman. Not since 1950 has there been a greater moment in our nation to reach out to the lost genetic Israelites of America and the Western world. The majority of the 80 million people who voted for Trump in the presidential election of 2020 are still in recovery, with many mired in dissolution. Not just a few feel helpless after the Marxist seizure of that presidential election. Weaponizing the critical branches of United States federal agencies has only exacerbated the gloom that surrounds us. Tens of millions of genetic Israelites flocked to the polls in the presidential election of 2016 and elected a man of their own genetic kind. To the utter disdain and repulsion of the Esau Edom crowd and millions of Americans wed to Marxist ideology. Donald Trump's election in 2016 occurred by sheer divine providence. Facing challenges that no president has faced in our lifetime, and with the full force of the Marxist radical left marshaled against him, this president did more good for America than any president since Theodore Roosevelt back in 1901 to 1909. With his love for America and his indomitable courage, Trump was assured a second term with the largest voter turnout ever. This was proof of his popularity with the conservative wing of the country. However, the Marxist left was forced to keep this president from serving another term, which would have upended Esau Edom's plan for seizing America and thwarted their efforts to complete their goal of transforming this nation into a complete, tyrannical dictatorship, Lenin, Stalin, or Zelensky style. So what does our future hold? Tens of thousands of Americans seek answers to countless vexing problems. We must be ready to answer these questions posed by disillusioned Anglo-Saxons. Our time in history is reminiscent of the day about which Jesus told his disciples in John 4 verse 35. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, ready to harvest. Jesus had taken time to evangelize the Anglo-Israel woman at the well and wanted his disciples to know there were other souls ripe for the harvest, ripe for the knowledge of the saving gospel of Christ's great kingdom. Identity believers and ministers, we live in a season when the fields are ripe for evangelism, with each one teaching one. Everywhere you go, there are white people searching for answers. Meanwhile, growing numbers are becoming political atheists. They cannot see any future for them and their children. Most white people in America have come to understand that by virtue of being born white, they and their children are less welcome in the homeland their fathers explored, settled, and civilized with the Western, Christian, European infrastructure. They are asking these questions. What happened to the America we once knew? And what must we do now? We must, as the Apostle Peter said, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. From 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We must be prepared to tell our white neighbors and friends that the perils facing our country have come to us because we, the descendants of ancient Israel, rejected the living God and broke covenant with him and scorned his law. We've repudiated his word and worshipped other gods. Many disillusioned whites are ripe for hearing the truth of their racial identity. 
It has never been easier to talk to the hopelessness, for they know that we are in a terrible place in America, although they are not certain how we got here or what to do now. This is the job for you, remnant Christians. Reach out to the silver-haired baby boomers in their retirement years, Generation X, born between 1965 and 1980, and the millennials that followed them, born from 1981 to 2000. Do not forget our youth, Generation Z, born after 2000, many of whom seem completely aimless, in desperate need of meeting their Savior Jesus Christ and learning their heritage in Israel identity. While it would be wonderful if scores of Israel identity ministers and churches were positioned to guide these disillusioned folks, mired in hopelessness, sadly, we have too few churches and a critical shortage of shepherds to lead them. In fact, we lack doctrinal unity in many critical areas. We have no Bible schools for our young men and far too few private Christian academies for our children. St. Paul stated this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? The trumpet sounding in modern Israel give no certain sound, no unified doctrinal standard. Our men are too proud of their armchair mailbox theology, as if their lone wolf strategy of study were superior to those who have devoted their entire lifetimes, eight hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, for literally decades, to systematic, comprehensive, consistent, diligent study of God's Word. We must be careful to rightly divide God's Word and not relinquish the pillars of Christianity. We face the storm of our age. Where can new people shelter and learn? While most ministers do endorse Jesus Christ as the eternal Son of God, and that is glorious, and while most do believe that the Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavian, and kindred European peoples are indeed the genetic heirs of Israel, these two points are not enough. Far too many grasp these two points, study them, and then return to their regular churches or course of life. They do nothing with it. Shamefully, many of them fail even to teach it to their children. In such a time, when faithful shepherds are so desperately needed, where are they? Where are the churches they serve? Or are we too stubborn to submit to the authority, regularity, and sacrifice that church participation requires? Our sheep need a doctrinal standard around which we can rally. Israel identity pastors, preachers, evangelists, and followers have had more than a century to prepare for this crisis we face. Why then has there been so little fruit born during the past 100 years? Where are the young men who should have been reared in this theology and worldview? Are they scattered to the wind? Married to girls who don't embrace the truth? Are they teaching their own children this treasured message? We may not be able to answer these questions, but now is the time for dialogue. Now is the time to change our inadequate attempts to preserve and pass on these truths. Please ponder the following statements and let me know the deficiencies in them. I want to solve this problem. I want to acknowledge the problem and help in this process. At the very least, this is a good place to begin our search for answers. Number one, the glorious truth of the genetic Israel heritage has simply been added to whatever denominational teachings 
with which a particular pastor might have been ordained into. The minister may accept this truth as irrefutable, but in terms of sharing it with his congregation, many simply will not. Perhaps they fear it will cause their numbers to dwindle, for we all know that this message is socially unacceptable, or at least hard to swallow. We render humble thanksgiving to our eternal God for those churches that have made an effort to teach this message to their congregations. Sadly, they are the exception rather than the rule. Number two, far too many people treat this message as a novelty. They receive it as titillating, refreshing piece of doctrine, historically and biblically sound and irrefutable, but this is where it remains, a piece of history set on a shelf to ponder now and again. Israel identity is a great novel truth, shocking to many who first hear it. But since too many tuck it away in their hearts and don't live according to its implications, it essentially remains just an added feature to whatever denominational standard they already believed and does not cause any change in church denomination or lifestyle. Only on rare occasions have pastors led their congregations to live in this truth. Number three, full endorsement of Israel identity requires willingness to conform one's lifestyle to the path that Jehovah ordained for Israelites. Adaptation to any lifestyle changes requires personal sacrifice and commitment. Indeed, Israel identity is transformative if one chooses to make it their life focus. Particularly, we must live as separatists in marriage, worship, education of our children, and our own social circles. Many identity believers cannot surrender their denominational belief habits even about worldly Christmas and Easter celebrations and Sunday worship. Celebration of the biblical Sabbath and the Bible's annual holy days, which Jehovah commanded that we observe forever throughout our generations, is too weird or demanding or something. Conformity to the dietary laws of clean and unclean meats is no fun and therefore a stumbling block for many. These and other transformative lifestyle demands of Israel identity require too much for them. Number four, for many pastors, the exclusionary nature of Israel identity in salvation is too difficult for their congregants to receive and embrace in a country where multiculturalism and racial diversity are so common. Historically, many Israel identity pastors endeavored to open the door of salvation to everyone without distinction, while reserving the idea of redemption for Israel alone. This theological distinction is not defendable from scripture. One leading Israel identity pastor, now deceased but quoted in the American Institute of Theology's Bible Correspondence Course in chapter 59, when asked, why did Christ come? Observe this. Of course, one of the purposes in Christ's coming was to pay the penalty of the sins of every person who believes and accepts him as his personal savior. But this is not all. Another purpose of his first coming was to redeem his people Israel. This is simply unacceptable theology. The redemption that Jesus Christ purchased at Calvary is a specific term that describes how salvation is accomplished. 
Salvation is the personal application of redemption. Jesus Christ redeemed Israel with his death. This redemption is applied to each person whom God the Father chose in election and granted salvation. Salvation is the personal gift derived from the great work of redemption. It is impossible to believe that a person could benefit from either redemption or salvation without the other. Both words are applicable to the manner in which Israel was saved. Number five, Israel identity calls us to practice separatism in worship. Many ministers cannot face enduring the persecution that often comes from endorsing a Caucasian-only congregation. Americans readily accept that other races may practice separatism, whether they be Asian, black, or otherwise, but God forbid that whites practice anything approaching exclusiveness. Embracing Israel identity requires adapting a transformative, sacrificial lifestyle, for there is no other means of genetic survival of our kind. The genetic heritage of European people cannot survive amid a multicultural, racially diverse nation without careful adherence to separatism in all forms of worship and socialism. Otherwise, these will lead to interracial marriages. It's that simple. Number six. God's word doesn't promise anyone who wishes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that the Christian lifestyle is easy. All Christians will suffer persecution to some extent. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verses 20 through 21. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. People who embrace the Bible truth of Israel's heritage as God's chosen people will suffer greater or lesser degrees of persecution, especially if they live the lifestyle that Scripture requires. Number seven. The season unfolding now is very unfriendly towards whites. This phenomenon has been worsening with every passing decade, beginning with the U.S. Supreme Court of Brown v. Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas, which integrated public schools, colleges, and universities in the U.S., then the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the U.S. Supreme Court decision of Loving v. Virginia in 1967, which lifted the ban on interracial marriage, enabling the push for a fully integrated America. Number 8. These historic events marked a turning point in U.S. history. In 1950, the U.S. was 90% white, while in 2022, we are near 40% white. The trajectory of this trend is clear. In the midst of this fully integrated, racially diverse nation, any white person who seeks to maintain their racial integrity is going to be vulnerable to the Marxist left and their efforts to eradicate white people. Every ethnic people in America is allowed to celebrate their identity openly. However, what is perfectly acceptable for all other racial ethnicities is not allowed for whites. We are the target of racial slurs, and will be canceled if they have it their way. We are called bigots, racist, white supremacist, and worse. For this and other reasons, many who espouse Israel identity hesitate to make themselves known.
The challenge. Before us is an urgent need for European people that have been called into the knowledge of Israel identity to organize themselves into a church, grow the church, complete with a Christian day school K-12, and develop a church community in a white enclave in a rural setting. If these church communities had been organized and developed across low-density rural white regions of America during the past 50-plus years, we would have already a terrific advance in this area. But our fathers have dropped the ball. We have to seize this opportunity now while we still can. Don't live hopeless, disillusioned with an attitude of futility. We have to make an enclave for our children. In the absence of churches, schools, and white enclaves, we are left to reach out and each one teach one the best that we can. It's never too late to start a weekly Bible study in your home. Invite family members and close friends, but especially include your children in regular Bible reading, studying, and hymn singing. Many of the New Testament churches began as home churches. You would be shocked as to how many churches throughout the history of the West began with the nucleus of a family. It was quite common. About 596 BC, the prophet Jeremiah penned a letter to the Israelites who'd been taken to Babylon during the Chaldean invasions of Judea between 606 and 607. These captives had been told that their enslavement would last about 70 years. To ensure the genetic and spiritual survival of these Israelite captives, Jeremiah wrote them a letter to inspire them to preserve their genetic heritage, bear children, and remain spiritually connected to their God and his unconditional Abrahamic covenant for promise. Essentially, these Israelites were to live in enclaves in the rural areas of Chaldea, the land of their captivity, and follow Jeremiah's agenda. In many ways, Israel identity people today are enduring a similar captivity. Jeremiah's agenda, recorded in Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 14, serves as a terrific place to jumpstart your plans regarding building a church and a community in a rural white enclave with fellow Israelite believers. Verse 5 reads, Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat fruit of them. This far-reaching mandate is clear. Have families, build homes, plant gardens and orchards, and generally produce food. The implications are that this should unfold in rural white areas where the growing season and other factors are favorable. This is a clarion call for subcultures within this land or wherever you may reside. Verse 6. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. God's dominion mandate for Israel has not changed. We are still to multiply children. So let this command from God direct parents to provide proper counsel and direction to their young people. Parents need to get their young men involved in cultivating a skill set in some trade or occupation that he can pursue in a rural setting. Young people must mature quickly and marry young. The multiplication of children is crucial for building church communities. In fact, multiplying children is key to every phase of long-term genetic and spiritual survival of the remnant. Verse 7, And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, 
and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. We, Israel identity believers, must play catch-up in regards to civics and involvement in the most basic level of local government. We are called to take dominion of the earth, or at least our little corner of it. We are to secure the peace of the city, enlarge that to the county where you live, pray for the peace of the county seat as well as the county where you live, and become familiar with the manner in which the local county is operated. Your county sheriff holds a prominent position and is essentially the one person in the county who can serve as a firewall between the citizens and tyranny from higher levels of government. Establish a relationship with your county sheriff and other elected officials. All of this is also established on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, from Ephesians 2 verse 20. What helps make this all possible? A focus on Jesus Christ and the inspired, inerrant, and divinely preserved Word of God, faithfully preached, believed, and followed. Honest, freedom-loving, heart-working, peaceful, industrious, Christian people living in covenant with our eternal God must love and serve Him and one another. The personal, collective goal of your church community will be the prism through which other people in the area view your enclave. This old instruction is still true. Pray as if it all depended upon God, but work as if it all depended upon you.